there's some things that some things that God just hands to us a little more freely than others. I don't know if you realize that, but he doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. And there's some topics that we have to kind of dig into. And I want to address a little bit of that today. I want to say welcome to our Destiny Table New York and for everyone who's with us um, in our online family today. And we just are inviting the Lord to speak to our hearts according to his word. I, I really sense his presence here in a very... Um, strategic, almost surgical way. So would you just put your hand on your heart and, Lord, would you teach us something about the nature of God as we explore and see some of the things that you're revealing in your word for us, particularly in this hour of the church. Take us deeper, Lord, to become more of the people that you have called us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So the title today that I want to talk to you about is, and you won't understand it probably when I first say it, I'll have to explain it, but self-sells. Self-sells. In the world, sex sells. How many know that's true? I don't know why a Coors Light commercial has babes in a bikini that are ripped when they probably are not drinking any beer and they are at the gym very often. Uh, but they are selling us, you know, products on TV. Why is that? Because sex sells. We understand that in the world system, but in the church system, self sells. And it's interesting because last week as I started to kind of venture down this, I didn't realize how deep the Lord was going to take me personally into this. But <clears throat> I'm going to really address some things that need to be dismantled in the Western world church as I am constantly, um, you know, coming back to over and over again. The Lord's just doing a deep, deep work in the body of Christ in this hour. And uh, last week I talked about how, you know, there's this idea in Scripture and we read about it and it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and what? He will lift you up. But if your goal is to be lifted up, then you're actually not humbling yourself, you're pursuing being lifted up. And that's why we need to pay close attention. The, the verse of Scripture doesn't say humble yourself so you will be lifted up. It says humble yourself and you will be lifted up. But your pursuit needs to be the heart of God, and you have to die to your own pursuits in order to live to the results that God wants you to possess. And you cannot kill yourself. You have to die in Christ. You have to allow him to address those things. And it's a, man, I wish there was some stuff in me that would just die. How many of you can relate to that? I mean, it's just like, oh, man, here we are again with this. And it's like coming back to it over and over and over. Uh, and, and give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And men will give into your bosom. People will be compelled to generously give into your life. Is that a beautiful verse or what? Yet in our self-serving Western religious ideology, we've taught that verse as give uh, and so that it will be given to you. Not give and it will, but so that it will. And then we've endorsed the selfish pursuit of humanity and said, listen, you really want God to bless you, don't you? If you'll just give, it'll all come back. And what we're doing is endorsing your greed instead of leading you to the cross where you're supposed to die to yourself. Nobody claps alone. The Bible speaks of hissing the enemy away by the clapping of our hands. When I hear somebody in this room start to clap their hands, it's not just an applaud to the Lord, it's a declaration to the enemy. You're a liar, you've just been exposed. 
God is awakening something of greater value in our hearts today. I want to encourage you that you should give. You should worship the Lord with your tithes and with your offering. Not so that you'll get back a bunch of things from God or from others, but because you want to lay your life down, you want to address. How many of you know the way you kill the things or the way you die to yourself is you put yourself out there in these places of trust and confidence in the Lord and you say, I don't understand how all this is going to work, Lord, but I'm going to trust you with my tithe. I'm going to trust you with my giving. And we don't receive and pass buckets. We ask you to worship the Lord with your giving, either online, you can text give, or in the giving stations. We have communion out every week, and the giving stations are available. And during worship, we invite you to find your way to a posture of worship, unless you give online or however you do that. Here's the thing. Just make sure that is an act of worship selfless worship to the Lord where you come back. It's just a beautiful thing, isn't it? The Lord says, every time you increase, I want you to practice dying. And just how dead am I? Well, those types of indicators actually communicate a lot. And the Lord wants to address some of these things. The Bible speaks of a day, and we need to understand it. The Bible speaks of a day where people are not going to go into churches looking how they can use their gifts to serve other people. The Bible speaks of a day where people are going to go into churches, and they're going to be looking to churches as a place that will meet their needs and serve their needs. Minister, I want great preaching. I want great worship. I want great kids ministry. I want great young adults ministry. I want great marriage ministry. I want great divorce recovery ministry. I want great financial uh, workshop ministry. I want to find a church that's going to really help me live my best life. The Bible describes this day. And it's the day that you and I live, and it's the day that many of us as pastors have fully cooperated with the desires and the demands of people because we want to grow our church, and we want to feel successful about growing our church, and I want other people to look to me as a pastor that's successful. And it's all this ego-driven misappropriation of the giftedness that God has given us, and we take these unsanctioned uses of the gifts that God's placed within our lives, and we're, we're, we're causing people to deviate from the very core of the kingdom of God, the cross of Jesus Christ. Second. Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Paul warns his spiritual son Timothy. He says, know this, that in the last days, this speaks of the latter days of the church, okay? Whatever your beliefs are eschatologically, uh, you know, I'm not here to address that today. But in the latter days of the church, perilous times will come. We are in the latter days of the church without a question, no matter how last days you may think it is or not, it isn't. But perilous, day, perilous times will come. For men, will you say it with me, will be lovers of themselves. Before we read these 19 characteristics that Paul reveals about the last day's church, I want to point out to you the very first characteristic that is mentioned is really important because it's really the sewer pipe from which all the rest of this garbage flows. Men will be lovers of themselves. The promotion of self, the love of self, the self-serving interests, the self-serving theology, the self-serving perspectives, 
It's shaping so much of our lives in this Western world that you and I live. The church has been far more evangelized by the Western world culture than the Western world culture has been evangelized by the church. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, enough! For men will be lovers of themselves. And here are all the things that come when we love ourselves. They'll be lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away." And I'm just kind of on a journey of full confession today because pastors like me have not turned away from such things. We've built churches around accommodating such pursuits. And that's not what the Bible says we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bring correction to such ideas, not reinforce them and perpetuate them at the core of theology that's flawed, leading people perhaps to hell rather than heaven. Somebody's just got to step out there and say the truth in a world where the truth isn't really very welcome. Jesus addresses these issues in the apocalyptic letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. I want to point out one of those letters because it's very significantly attached to what we're talking about today. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Very first two words, I really want to, to point this out to you. I know. This is God. This is Jesus, letter to the church. I know your works. How many know God knows? You can fool some of the people all the time. You can fool all the people some of the time, but you can fool God never, ever. God knows. This is Jesus saying, I know your works, church. You have the reputation for being alive, but you're dead. You have the reputation for being alive, but life isn't actually in there. You're teeming with crowds of people, but gathering crowds doesn't make disciples. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. There's something there God's calling to, and he's wanting to wake it up so it doesn't all die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. The church reputation had exceeded its actual spiritual life. The church was popular with the people, but not so much with the Lord. And God deals with the reality of what is, not with the presentation uh, that we might be able to come up with. And, and so much, I mean, it just so many times, I, I'm almost reluctant because it sounds like I'm really bagging on the church. I just want you to know, man, I love the church. I love the church too much to abandon the church. Some people have left the church. Some people have left the church, not because they are abandoning the faith, but because they're trying to preserve the faith. 
This is really important that we understand. God wants us to get this right and wake up an army of the living God, sons and daughters of God on the earth, who understand the authority of God that's born from humility before the Lord their God, and they affect not only the spiritual atmosphere of a room, but we begin to affect the spiritual atmosphere of a region, and things begin to shift, and revival begins to happen, and salvation springs up from the ground, and people get delivered, and lives get put back together, and the kingdom of God invades the earth. Thy kingdom comes. Come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And addressing that which is surface requires us to address the source of that which is surface. Or we just keep perpetuating that which is surface. So maybe the deeper problem, rather than the preacher getting angry at the surface level church in the world in which we live, Maybe the deeper problem is actually in the preacher. Maybe we live in a day where these preachers who are actually more like entrepreneurs leading businesses than they are pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists functioning in a gift that awakens something of a supernatural value in the people of God to become everything God's called them to be. Maybe these entrepreneurs have just gathered from a shallow well of clever information rather than digging deep into the deep wells of revelation that actually awakens something in the earth. Maybe that's what's been going on in our world. And I repent for having participated in any of it. I repent publicly. I repent to you. I repent to our elders. I want more than any of that stuff. I heard a guy talking this last week about the church idea, the debt is dumb campaign. We're going to take five weeks and focus on a series. We're not doing this. <laughs> I'm poking at it, okay? We're not doing this. Five weeks, debt is done campaign. We're going to bumper stickers. We want you to get the word out in the community. Our church cares about the things that really matter. Debt is dumb. And, and Pastor Christy, Pastor Christy, where are you, Pastor Christy? We need you to write a song, worship song, for debt is dumb season. And the sermons are going to go something like this. Debt makes you sad, and you want to be happy, so don't have debt, because debt is dumb. Week one. Week two, debt is financial strain on any marriage, and it makes the marriage sad, and you don't want to be sad. You want to be happy. Debt is dumb. Come, Pastor Christy, sing, and let's worship. If you have $4 and you spend 7 you're dumb. Debt is dumb. All right, we've worshiped the Lord. We've got our word. Go share your bumper stickers. Let's change the world. It'd be hilarious if it weren't so painfully sad. We rally people around a sensationalized, a sensationalized message that creates an attractive cause. 
and we get our people to be cause-centered, and they get more people to show up, and we get more cause-centered. Some, some congregations, they're more political causes. Some congregations, they're more social causes. Some congregations, they're more marital causes, worship causes. They're all kinds of different causes. But let me just say, the church is not supposed to be cause-centered. The church is supposed to be Christ-centered. You can hold your views in every direction. You can hold your views in every direction, but as soon as your views begin to create disunity, you have lost sight of Christ and you've gotten focused on your cause. We rally people around a cause to attract them with a message that serves them well. But messages that endorse a more effective pursuit of a greater life on earth... (laughs) truly miss the point of the eternal purposes of God. I want to just make sure you understand, God wants your life to be awesome. That is the truth. I mean, we can just get off and let the pendulum swing far over and miss the point. The Lord delights in the prosperity of his servant. I'm not here to take exception to that. I'm not here to promote an ideology that says, you know, you just should should live a horrible life and a horrible existence until you get to heaven. That's not what I'm saying at all. God wants your life to be awesome. And I want, you know, that is truth, but that truth comes with a trick. And we say this often because it's such a reality. God does want your life to be awesome. He does not want you to be pursuing an awesome life for yourself. He wants you to be providing an awesome life for others, and that's what will make your life awesome. It's a kingdom reality at the core of this worldly pursuit that actually changes the fundamental idea of what the pursuit actually is, and the pursuit actually becomes the result rather than the pursuit when you get it right. Most of us would say we do not deny Christ. If you're here today and you say, I would never deny Christ, can I get a loud amen? We won't deny him, but we will dethrone him if we're not careful. By allowing things other than him to become the center of our affection, we dethrone the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to live our lives in light of eternity with, without, uh, you know, these, you understand, if you don't understand eternal priorities, you're going to spend a lot of your life angry at God. Because you're going to be demanding that this life be everything you want it to be. And even lost people who don't know God, their lives are just awesome sometimes. And that's frustrating if our goal is a great life in this world. If you don't understand the eternal priorities of God, then you're going to miss some of what God's wanting you to get at the very foundation. And the whole structure of your life and your faith and your relationship with God is going to be built in a flawed angle and perspective. And one day standing in the light of eternity, you're going to look at it and say, how did I miss that which was so foundational and important? What does it look like to live in light of eternity? This life is not the harvest. This life is the seed. The harvest is discovered in eternity. This life is the seed. This life requires us to die as any seed must die in order to produce a harvest. And then we begin to discover the greater eternal purposes of God. It'll change everything about the way you're living now. Just take you to a perspective in Bible that nobody ever says, these are my favorite verses of Scripture, okay? But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, this is an eternal perspective that's coming out of these people. And I want you to to, to hear this. 
Hebrews 10, 34, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Praise God. Nobody ever picks that as their favorite verse. I've been to all kinds of graduations, homecoming ceremonies, our Christian school. Not one student has ever said, my favorite verse is the joyful embrace of the confiscation of my property. How's that even possible? You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. In other words, you fell under great persecution. You were in prison. They took your stuff. But instead of getting angry and growing bitter because things in this world didn't work out the way you hoped that they would work out, you actually set your sights on something eternal that has greater value than anything you could ever possess in this world. And that's going to change your life for the rest of eternity. <laughs> Living in light of eternity. The next chapter. This is where it says in Hebrews eleven thirty-five. This is crazy. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. What? I'm in jail. Get me out. Pray that I'll get out. I want out right now. They're torturing me. When the torture is over, the imprisonment concluded, and they said, you're free to go. And the people said, nope. Some were tortured, refused to accept release, why? So they might rise again to a better life. I'm just saying, I don't have this figured out. I'm asking the Lord, God, you're going to have to help me with this. But I am figuring something out. As I am pursuing and exploring a deeper revelation of the eternal purposes of God, it's shifting something in my life. I am less, some of y'all need to fall under conviction of this, it can be funny, but don't even bother laughing because I'm being as serious as I can be. I have been less frustrated when somebody cuts me off in traffic because I just lean back and just say, I don't know if that's a single mom who got off work late trying to get home to take care of her kids before she goes to a second job. I don't know what's going on there, but I bless them. I release them. What am I doing? I'm accepting, I'm accepting a moment of, of inhibition in my own life, inconvenience in my own life, pressing into the nature of God, exploring the sacrificial desires of God, and it makes me more like Christ when I do that. So stop flipping people off on the road. God's trying to use them to make you like Christ and you're like the devil. Somebody attended our church and flipped me off one time on the road not knowing it was me. True story. Tracy. It wasn't her. <laughs> Difficulty is going to come. Disappointment is going to happen. Frustration is going to be here. We live in a fallen world. We serve a risen king in this fallen world. There are going to be things you will not be able to understand. Stop trying to theologically wrestle them to the ground and explain everything away. You cannot fully comprehend God and you're confusing the rest of us when you try and do that. 
Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and become more like Christ. I don't understand why Tracy and I lost our first child before our first child was born. I don't understand it. But because I identified with a father who lost his son, I became more like Christ as a result of that pain instead of becoming bitter against God. Take the pain in your life and let God use it to make you more of who he has called you to become. And he will. God never apologizes for difficulty in your life. The reason he never apologizes is because he uses it for your good. God the Father never apologized to Jesus for having to die on the cross. He raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the Father, and awakened a bride from every tongue, tribe, and nation to rule the universe with him forever. He didn't apologize. He redeemed it. What's happened in your life? He's not apologizing. He's redeeming it. What kind of difficulty have you walked through? Disappointment have you held on to? Let it go. God's not apologizing. He's redeeming it now. Come on. Airplanes take off against the wind. You're likened to eagles. Eagles rise above the storm into gale force winds that normally birds, in fact, normal birds, kind of mere men message I talked about last week, they won't handle those storms well. But sons and daughters of God, the eagle the Bible speaks of, we rise above the storm. We get into the winds that other people cannot handle. And those strong winds that normally would destroy another person's life become wind beneath our wings, causing us to soar higher and see further and know more and embrace a deeper nature and revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our risen King. I'm finished. But God's at work. Mess the worship team to come. <laughs> Do you hear the heart of God this morning? Do you sense the nature? of Christ this morning. <clears throat> Nobody's here to pat you on the back and help you along the way of forming the greatest life you can possibly live on earth. We're kind of here like your mom should be. We're not going to tell you what you want to hear. We're going to tell you what you need to hear. That's the church. Jesus said, I came that they might have and enjoy life. If you don't understand life and you reduce it to what this world has to offer, you won't get this. But I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. <clears throat> the devil comes to steal, 
kill and destroy. It's the first part of the verse. Please hear this. It's very important. This is our theme for the year. When the Lord said he's going to take us into a year of exploring and experiencing abundant life, I struggled because of the message I'm sharing with you today. I struggled. I was like, this is seemingly so conflicting to what I'm sensing God is saying to move into as the church. But I'm growing in a deeper revelation of what abundant life truly is. And this is what you need to understand. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. And the aim of death is not to kill you. The aim of death is to simply keep you from the fullness of life until you die. And if he can distract you into focusing on things and leading your children in focusing on things that are not the Christ-centered life he wants us to possess, then the enemy wins. Would you stand to your feet? I want to ask you to look for opportunities all week long. Look for opportunities. This is your action point. We bring God's presence. I'm thankful we experienced God's presence. We bring God's presence to real life. And so this week's God's presence to real life action point is I want to ask you, look for opportunities all week to lift your focus above the circumstances of this world, giving full attention to eternity. Everything from something as simple as being cut off in traffic to somebody being horribly unkind to you. I said it in our 9 a.m. prayer. It's easy to be kind to people when they give us kindness. But when they give us something other than kindness, sometimes it's really hateful. You don't give them what they gave you. You give them what God gave you instead. That's why you can bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, be kind to those who are unkind all week long. Practice a response to God rather than a reaction to man and see what God might begin to do in your life. We don't deny him, but it's sure easy to dethrone him. Anybody here agree with me on that? Man, I just look at my own life and I just say, Lord, I'm just so sorry where I've allowed things to invade your space. And I just ask you, Lord, before this great family to forgive me, to redeem me, to restore me, to have a heart that is undivided and fully devoted to the attention of the Lord our God. Teach us that, Lord. Teach us that. Come on, either you need to begin your surrender to the Lord, or if you say, I need to renew my surrender to the Lord. That means if you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you begin that now. Or if you have, but you've in many ways dethroned him, then I just want you to lift your hands in a posture of surrender, and let's let God begin to redeem something within us. Lord, we're just honest today. So many things in the world around us have captivated our attention and drawn us into a place of distraction that ultimately will take us into a place of destruction. But Lord, we turn from those things. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, begin to awaken things within us that truly will carry the power to transform the world around us as we walk hand in hand with our eyes fixed on that which is unseen, looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate giver of life. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. You died 
but you're not dead. You were buried, but you're not in the grave. You are alive, and the life of Christ is in this room awakening us. Come on, if you agree with that today, why don't you give Jesus celebration, amen, hand clap of praise. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of our lives. I believe in the power of prayer. And I want to encourage you, two things tonight, we're going to gather at 6 o'clock, and I would ask you, if there's any way you can prioritize this evening being back at 6, do so, because the kingdom of God is voice activated, and we need to give ourselves to the deeper eternal priorities of God, rather than the temporal distractions that might keep us from something God's desiring for us to accomplish together as a family. No condemnation. But please at least be open to what the Lord may speak to you about this evening. When we gather back in this room at 6 o'clock, we're, uh, we're going to activate some things prophetically in the church tonight. We're going to uh, awaken where you're going to hear names that the Lord's putting on your heart to pray for. You're going to put those on sticky pads. You're going to place those on these crosses. We're going to begin to pray over these next two weeks. We're also going to give you a way to text in names, and we're going to pray in agreement over specific names that will come up on the screen. We're also going to awaken the prophetic dimension of God in the hearts of the people. And I believe that tonight you're going to begin to hear some things that the Lord's desiring to reveal, and we're going to have a process of you being able to come and share those things with some of our pastoral team, and then we'll be able to kind of speak into that and pray into it. Come on, God's trying to awaken something in the body of Christ, and I'm hungry for more. How about you? So let's go deeper. Let's press in. Our prayer team, they're going to make their way to the back. We're just going to take a little bit of time here, maybe five minutes or so, just to praise the Lord and, and take that which he stirred in our hearts. He's awakening something in us. Let's take that and let's give it back to him in a posture of worship. Let's bring what he's awakening within us in a place of worship. If there's anything we can pray in agreement with you about, if you made a decision to serve the Lord today, then please come to our prayer team and let us know that so we can pray specifically with you. Make sure you know steps and stages to begin to walk through as we walk this out together as a family. But come on, let's just take a few moments and let's really devote our hearts to a place of sacrificial worship to the Lord our God.